we can come up with a variety of interpretations for these things, or we can look at the scripture itself and say, oh, look at that, the angel actually tells you. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends, Kara and... Hello. And Amy. Hello. And Tracy. Good morning. Hello, everybody. Guys, it's happening. What's happening? I'm almost 50. <laughs> oh, it's not that bad. Gracious. <laughs> oh, I thought that happened a few years ago. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, man. I got I got a lot of gray hair, but I don't have that much gray hair. My hair and my hey, hairline hasn't receded that much yet. If hair was the object, then I would have been fifty a long time ago. <laughs> it is a little funny though. This one's hitting me a little different than others because it's like some realizations are are coming on me. Like you know, thirty, I didn't care. Forty, not so much. Fifty, now I'm like, okay, my body is starting to not work as well as it used to and uh, <laughs> i went to the doctor the other day and i have to schedule my first ever colonoscopy it's like oh great <laughs> this is my life now yeah <laughs> and uh, so i don't know it's just weird you know the realization that i've probably lived more than half of my life at this point and you didn't you know, have colonoscopy did you uh my doctor yeah. said that at 45 now they're recommending them so i kind of skipped over the 45 mark and well, no, because they have the they have the kits that you could just mail in. I don't know. He said we got yes, one scheduled. You know, if I to have one done, I'd ask. Yeah, you no, can I don't know. have a sample. Yeah. No, Colaguard, all those commercials on TV, I'd ask about that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's already it's already scheduled and I'll I'll I'll, I'll power through it. It'll be a, uh, I'm sure I'll get by. But uh So yeah. we were talking about this before you signed on, Tracy. Are you the baby of the group? Who me? Yes, you. Um, no. No. Okay. <laughs> no. I yes. thought that you were, and then Matt thought that you weren't. He thought he was the baby of the group. He is the, he is the baby of the group. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tracy was a year ahead of me in school. and Yeah. And uh, we didn't, even though we didn't go to the same school, we still, we still uh, were aware of each other's. Uh, yep. Uh, uh, how, how long did we go to church together? Oh gosh, I don't know. Um, few years anyway. I mean, through high At school least. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think after high school, you probably went off to. I don't went know. Did you go straight to Navy or college? I went, or nope, I went straight to the Navy. Yeah. So, so then we sort of lost track for a while, and then, yep. then sort of found our way back towards each other again, yeah. and started making back a to, podcast. Back to our old home church. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, funny how God works those ways, and and <laughs> you know we had our <laughs> our little rivalry over the same girl that we were talking about here. A little a rivalry. It was more like <laughs> more like we were just interested, but uh, in the same girl. Anyway, wow, that is so oh, far off the top. Well, wait a second. Floor. Wait a second. You guys didn't do like pistols at dawn over some chick in high school. No, no. <laughs> I think what it amounted to. What it amounted to was Tracy asked her out and I didn't. And so <laughs> I think what it probably even amounted to was there was no pistols. There was always BB guns with us when we hung out and I lost the front windshield. That's about it. <laughs> My parents were not happy. <laughs> oh my goodness. There was no dueling at dawn. It was crazy stuff like shooting at your own windshield. But yeah, great times. <laughs> I wasn't involved in the shooting of the windshield, so just let's be clear about that. It wasn't over a girl. No, no, it <laughs> no. wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, they, yeah, that is so far off of our, of our topic today, and I can hear mine and Karen's mothers both going, get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's get into our topic today. We are going to begin studying daniel chapter seven and daniel this book is uh this particular chapter is very very dense with with information so uh we are most likely not going to get through the entire chapter in this in this first or in this episode so for a little review little context here daniel had been captured by babylon early on in the overtaking of judah 
and he and his friends Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Did I get those right? Yes. All right. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody knows those names. Um, along with many others, had been carried off to Babylon early on, specifically chosen to be educated, to be integrated into Babylonian culture, a very interesting way for one culture to take over another culture by just bringing them in and and educating them and integrating them. But so these guys were brought in, educated. Daniel subsequently started getting more and more authority in the kingdom for various reasons, particularly because he uh, was able to provide interpretations of things that were going on uh to king nebuchadnezzar he interpreted a dream of course he you know daniel would tell you that he didn't interpret it god interpreted it uh with king belshazzar he interpreted some writing that appeared on a wall by a hand during a party he was throwing but all of this made daniel more and more valuable i guess you might say to the royalty and so we as we get into daniel chapter 7 then it actually backs up just a little bit in the narrative because last week, as you might recall, we had been talking largely about uh, King Darius or King Darius, who came after King Belshazzar. And all of that that happened with Daniel in the lion's den. And I'm sure if you haven't uh, heard the episode, you may be uh, familiar with that story already anyway. But so in Daniel 7, we back up to King Belshazzar again. In fact, to the first year of King Belshazzar, and this would seem to be, and I think we might have touched on this at the time, that Belshazzar was not necessarily king of Babylon, but that he had sort of been put in charge of it by somebody else named, uh, I think his name was Nabonidus. And I don't think he's specifically named in the Bible, but historically speaking, uh, students of history know that this kind of was what was going on at the time. And so Belshazzar was in in charge, uh, as we read. He uh, he was he had thrown a party and was using implements from the Jewish temple uh, to to party it up, using the cups and whatnot to to drink out of, and just being generally disrespectful to uh, the religion of the Jews, to the culture of the Jews, and um, we just saw the way that all this kind of led to his downfall. So as we get into Daniel 7, though, we, we, we back up to the first year of his reign. And this time we see that Daniel is having a dream. We haven't seen this specifically yet with Daniel. We've seen it with some other prophets. We've seen visions and stuff from other prophets. Like when we talked about Ezekiel, we saw that Ezekiel was having visions. And we've seen others um, having, having, having visions and being told things to carry out and such. And this time it's Daniel's turn. So my timeline Bible goes back to 555 BC. So last week when we were talking about Daniel and the lion's den and the week before that when we were talking about Belshazzar doing his feast and then the Medes and the Persians coming in. Medes and the Persians coming in was in 538. That's when they took over Babylon. And then the the scholars estimation of the Daniel and the lion's den was a year later in 537. But this, they say, um, is back in 555. Kind of interesting. Mm, okay. Yeah, so that's mm, it's, it's, it. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, mine says 545. I wonder why the discovery. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Well, well, I know it's not. I mean, it's not. I don't think that there's anything they can do hard and fast. They can look at historical references and cross-reference geopolitical stuff that was happening yeah, at that yeah, time yeah. and try to do their best guess. But like if he's particularly if this guy is the descendant of the s sort of like real king and he's just been appointed over Babylon, you know, that gets a little that could get a little murky. Anyway, that's all. Well, and and this is just pinpointing when they think that. Daniel had this dream. Yeah, so, true. Yeah. <laughs> right. mm. There you go. But it does say in the first year of Belshazzar. So you would think you could you oh, would yeah, think yeah. you would think that that would be concrete. Yeah, I did read a note somewhere that said when that probably was, and I don't remember where that was. Yeah. Uh, I could I could probably find it. So okay, here one I see says 550 or 549 BC. Okay, so, so right between mine and Amy's. Interesting. Yeah. 
So it's all got to do with when Nebonidas left to go to somewhere called Tima, and he entrusted the kingship to Belshazzar, and he spent 10 years there. So it says the first year of this can't be later than 550 or 549. So anyway, um, that just gives us an idea of, of where we are in the story as Daniel is relaying it, because it, it's interesting just the way that Jewish writers would write because they they would write more in terms of subjects less so than chronology. They really weren't all that interested, it seems, in telling you this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Well, this discussion reminded me of Genesis chapter 7, and so I flipped over there, and it says, Genesis uh, 7 verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month. Like, there he's given a very specific time. And I think what the Bible is trying to convey to us, you know, years and years later is this isn't just some holy text. This is a historical document. And mm -hmm. Noah is writing that. I mean, you know, Moses is recording the fact that Noah said, and this day it actually happened. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yes, yeah, sometimes we do get a very specific date in time. And here I think it's intended for us to get a specific date in time, even though Daniel doesn't like write down a year because of course he wouldn't have known the year uh, <laughs> 550 BC. Right, you know, right, he right. wouldn't have called it that. And so so relaying it to you know when a when a ruler took took uh took control uh is probably the best way they could because uh, I I don't I don't really know how their calendars worked back then. Um I would I suppose just based on what we see all the time is this happened in so-and-so's first or 10th year of reign or however yeah, it always I went think that's entirely that how probably they how they did it we know that this guy did this at this time it's been so many years since then and uh this is when that happened you know so um maybe maybe it wasn't until roman calendars came around that we got a concrete view of of that and we're able to pinpoint this happened right then and we can point to it you know um, but so Daniel has this dream, writes it down, and I don't know, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here talking about the interpretation of it. That comes later in the book or in the chapter, uh, but we will, I mean, we'll talk about it here some, because I don't think we'll be able to avoid it entirely because it's just, it's just so interesting. Uh, but he has this dream of four beasts coming out of the sea. He says uh, the first one, and maybe we'll just take them one at a time a little bit here, or maybe I can run through them. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. The first one is like a lion with eagle's wings. And interestingly, I saw a note somewhere. And one of my, I've been looking at like three Bibles as I go through here. This lion with an eagle's wings and a note in my Bible listed this as a cherub. So the, this idea of this lion-like creature with wings as a, as a cherub, which we've talked about cherub and i don't necessarily need to go into that now just the idea that cherubim are not what we particularly considered them to be in the past i just wanted to go back a little bit um because i find the wording pretty interesting it says that you know daniel had this dream um while he was sleeping he had visions while he was in his bed and then he says he wrote down the sum of the matters so he's recording the whole matter it says and then it says what he saw was first of all the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. And I think it's important to think about that because in prophetic language, yes. um, that is referring to a populated place. So we have, right. it's making clear the idea that these are political powers that are striving for the world. See, and yeah. I have to, when, when going through, I found too that winds, just for, you know, the thousands and thousands and millions of listeners, winds mm -hmm. um, sometimes refer to uh, winds of war, like in Jeremiah 25, 29 through 33, some more in Jeremiah 49, 51, that any, you know, them mentioning winds often often means war, and seas often means people or multitudes, yeah, nations, exactly. different tongues. I think that can be found in Revelation 17, 15. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's when I was reading this, that's the, that's the text that I went and rounded up was that one in Revelation, because I knew there was one in Revelation that talked about what seas meant. Like when something comes up out of the seas or out of the waters, I was like, in my head, I know that that means a populated area of lots of people. But why do I think I know that? Where is that from? <laughs> that yeah, on, I have that here, too. 
And the waters that you saw were the hordes in, that were seated in our people and multitudes and nations and languages. Yeah. Yep. That's the one that's, I found. And yep. that's from Revelation. Revelation yeah. seventeen fifteen. There you go. Yeah. So, you know, it is kind of important. You know, we we tend when we get a, when we come to these texts in Daniel, we we've, we tend to look at it in hindsight. We've you know, we've been through these things enough times, studied these things that we know these things. Uh, it's kind of important. And I think maybe right now to understand that as Daniel was seeing this, he wasn't understanding it because that he very specifically gets an interpretation later. So this would have been. It would have been probably rather confusing to him. He uh, he's seeing this. He seems to know that it's a vision from God in a dream, but doesn't understand what he's seeing. Uh, so well, this is well into his life. So yeah. he's he, he got lots of experience with yeah. dreams. It said it said way yeah. back in that first chapter where it talked about him being taken into captivity that God gave him knowledge of dreams and interpretations. True. And didn't True. we say like last week or at the beginning of the week when we had our, our other um, meeting is that he was an old he was up there in age he was older, yeah. mm -hmm. you know. And I think too. When did he, doesn't he pass out here, but just too much, too much information overload. Is that, that this coming, one? Or did that already happen? Mm, I thought that no, was in, I think that comes later. I think yeah. that was in, yeah, I think it's chapter nine. I think that's nine, yeah. As long as I stay in front of 14, then we're all right. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of information, even for him. It's like, you know, I, I don't think I could take all this, all this in. Yeah, I can only imagine, even if he had, like, some kind of concept of what he was seeing, you know, when he talks about things, he says things like, it was like a lion. That doesn't tell me that it was a lion. That tells me that this was something that he is trying to comprehend and interpret for us in, in writing. And that's something I can appreciate because... I have that's just kind of the way I tend to think my I tend to think in brain pictures, if that makes sense. And then I, sometimes I can have a hard time articulating those words or articulating those things into words. Look at me now. I can. I'm, I'm stumbling here. But being able to articulate something that you barely comprehend anyway to an audience and you're trying to help them to understand it. I can see how that could be overwhelming. So that what you just said about using animals, known animals as identifiers, that kind of jumped out to me as, as I was reading through this, because, you know, the first beast is like a lion. It had the wings of an eagle, right? Then mm -hmm. he goes into the second beast and the third beast. And when he gets to the fourth beast, he doesn't have anything to compare it to. Like right. he doesn't say, and the fourth beast was like the front end of a this and the back end of a that, and then it had the feet of a, he doesn't say anything about like that. When he gets to the fourth beast, he just says, it was terrifying and frightening and very powerful. Mm. So I was kind of, that actually jumped out at me when I was reading through this, because it just, it just went past his ability to explain in the, in the world as he knew it. You know, I don't know, do we already kind of mention like in, in Daniel 3, where a lot of the, just the word beast even mean kingdoms, different kingdoms of the world. The lion, like in the first one in, in verse 4, Assyria and Babylon, if we look at Jeremiah 50, 17, that's where it kind of gives that that tying into that being the nation that's being described. Mm -hmm. so eagle's wings being the Babylonians. I think if we look back, I think it's in it's in like Deuteronomy like 28, 49, something like that, that we see that too, where that's described like that too. So, you know, it's it's given us hints along the way that, that that's what these are, or this that's what these are representing. Yeah. Let me see. Yeah. I almost got that Deuteronomy 29, 50, and that's probably not the right one. Well, while you're looking <laughs> Yeah, say what? Go while ahead, Amy, looking. while he's looking. Yeah, while well, you're looking for that, I was going to say, I just remember what we read in Daniel 2, you know, when Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you are the head of gold, and after thee shall arise another kingdom. Yeah. And so here was the initial vision that he was given, and uh, or that Nebuchadnezzar was given, and it's all put in terms of, well, what you saw refers to subsequent kingdoms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's Deuteronomy 28:49, and the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar and from the ends of the earth, as swift as eagles fly, a nation whose language you will not understand. 
a nation mm-hmm. of fierce continents and not respecting the elderly or showing favor to the young. Basically, okay. it goes on to tell about how they'll be besieged and everything else and how the go uh, have to go to another country. Yeah. So, you know, Daniel may have had a little bit of understanding of this because I guess as we've kind of alluded to here, we're seeing that these these beasts are in correlation to the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in chapter two. But at this point, it isn't spelled out yet. We sort of know that in retrospect, did Daniel realize that he was seeing something similar to what Nebuchadnezzar had seen, but with different imagery? Maybe. I don't know. Well, I think he's seen something similar to what we studied when we studied Ezekiel. Because Mm. uh, verse 4 says, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And then if we go back to Ezekiel 13, or excuse me, Ezekiel 17, verse 3, we see son of man put forth a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord, a great eagle with great wings, long winged and full of feathers with diverse colors. And, and then you skip down to verse uh, 12 and it says, behold, the king of Babylon is come to Jerusalem and hath taken the king and will carry them off to Babylon. You just mentioned Ezekiel. Wasn't. Do we remember because Ezekiel was. Ezekiel was prophesying from Babylon as well, wasn't he? And wasn't that roughly the same time as Daniel? Because I'm thinking that Ezekiel was taken early on as well. Am I am I thinking correctly in that? Or do we even know? Uh, hang on. Let me look and see what my little timeline thing here says. Yeah, because it, it's it seems interesting to me because we do see there there's some other imagery that we see in this chapter that's, that's similar to Ezekiel. So, so that's kind of cool to me no. that we're seeing similar stuff at a similar time to different people. But uh, go ahead, Karen. So in chapter one, my little timeline center column starts at 595 BC, and it and the book ends in 574 BC. And that, of course, is, I, I believe, that's an estimate when it was written, not necessarily pointing at all of the events that happened. Mm-hmm. That's Daniel or Ezekiel? Ezekiel. Did I say Daniel? I'm sorry. I'm not sure you said. That's why I was, I'm clarifying, because I, I wasn't sure which one you said. So, okay. And then we're thinking that this one is starting around 550. Six, so it's... Six kind of, of, oh, this chapter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... And anyway, it seems like they're kind of contemporaries of each other. So the thing that jumped out to me about the first beast when I was looking at it here um, says the first beast was like a lion. That's a, a creature of intense power. Wings of an eagle, right? That's strong and independent and flies high above everything. I watched until its wings were torn off. And it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being. And the mind of a human was given to it. Okay, so you go from king of the beasts with wings like an eagle to a little soft-bodied human. And that is a very big difference. And to me, that, that said a lot about the change in the intensity of power in Babylon over its years. And... A human compared to King of the Beasts with eagle's wings is a big step down. And it reminded me of the, it it made me wonder if Babylon's wealth got in its way, you know, too much success. And then it reminded me of that saying that they, that people say now, you know, strong men or hard times build strong men, strong men build good times and good times builds soft men so it's like a human cycle right like oh adversity and we don't have what we need and so we all rise to the occasion and mankind you know sort of lifts itself and builds what it needs and gets itself squared away that all its needs and a lot of its wants are taken care of and then as soon as it's comfortable mankind has a terrible habit of sitting back on its laurels and going ah well we got that taken care of can i get a soy latte I said soy, I can't drink cow milk because, you know what I mean? And we get spoiled and we get soft and then things collapse because we don't 
do the work to maintain it. So anyway, to me, that was a very strong statement of a kingdom that comes in as king of the beast with wings of an eagle and ends up as a small little man. Something you said there made me think of how this looks differently as it progresses, because as it starts out like an eagle and goes to like a man, I never really thought of that as being a literal, like like seeing the beast change from an eagle to a human. So that's just an interesting, uh, just a little interesting aside within the within the vision that uh, that uh, I hadn't considered before. <laughs> well, I just wanted to agree with what Karen was saying, but also um, to add to it, just the the fact that we have these these different characters, and you know, Nebuchadnezzar is a dynamic and powerful man who's willing to make war for conquest, etc. And then he does have, you know, offspring who appear to just be party animals who, you know, is just like every guy you knew in high school who spent his entire weekend, you know, smoking pot. Um, so it, to me, that's how he's, how his grandson appears. So I was looking to, and I was doing some extra reading um, just in other things, and it alluded to like Jeremiah 51, 30, as that, you know what, we've, we've went through all these beasts and, and there's how they excel in strength, power, they can fly, you know, they're like, the kings of their area, but the the man's heart that it kind of goes into references back to Jeremiah 51 30 about exactly kind of what Amy was saying is that while they had all these great attributes, they were still human. Mm -hmm. And what happens is it, in Jeremiah 30 says the mighty men of Babylon have ceased fighting. They have remained in their strongholds. Their might has failed. They become like women. And have burned, they have burned their dwelling places and the bars and the gates are broken. So now that just kind of kind of sets you up to, while they have all these great attributes and they've, they're able to conquer the world, they're still human. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the second beast. See, he says that it is like a bear raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth. You know, we, I, I, you know, I think we'll save some of this for the interpretation part of the discussion. But we, you know, we know for, with with our hindsight that this is talking about Medo-Persia. Um, and at the time, I think because it's raised on one side, basically one aspect of that Medo-Persia was stronger than the other. So that's why we see it raised on one side. And when we get to those three ribs, I think there's some interpretation there that will come out. <laughs> I think it's this is a very interesting thing to me about the book of Daniel. And that's the fact that he has a vision that he has to interpret for, you know, his king at one point, And he gets this this sort of sketch of history. And then in his own vision in chapter seven, he's given this this uh, vision where he sees this thing, but he's not told initially who this is. But the fantastic thing is, and I, I think this is where a lot of modern interpretations fail is they fail to finish the rest of the chapter. And so, you know, people can come up with all kinds of wild interpretations about these things. And yet an angel comes and explains this to him in the second half of the chapter. And I just think that's really important to remember because we can come up with a variety of interpretations for these things, or we can look at the scripture itself and say, Oh, look at that. The angel actually tells him. So I just think that's important right. to point out. Yeah, right. Exactly. My my knowledge of Medo-Persia is is not, you know, great. I know sort of rudimentary stuff. My understanding is that uh, one of those was continually stronger than the other. And it just, and so that's why bear would be raised up on one side. And my and my understanding of the ribs in its mouth is that it. Medo-Persia conquered three other major nations in the world during its years. And so, the, like the last line of the verse, let's see. Oh, it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. And in those three countries that it did take over, it, wa it was, um, yeah, it pretty much devoured them. That's kind of the way I've always understood that. These three other countries were Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt. Yeah, there we go. Well, Babylon obviously, you know, usurped it and took its place, and then Lydia and Egypt. I mean, Egypt has been a major stronghold, major stronghold from from the early 
early times of the earth. And then here, apparently, Medo-Persia took it over. That's kind of crazy. The next beast that he sees is like a leopard with four wings and four heads. Now, that thing's just going to be weird looking. I mean, that's where he got to probably get into this thing where it's like, like, uh, like something. Because I have never seen any kind of a cat with four, with, with multiple heads or wings. But we know from our hindsight there again that uh, we're talking here about uh, Greece. Well, I thought we'd just look at the beast itself for a minute. And, you know, it's it's interesting in itself. Uh, it's like a leopard. And so what do you think of with a leopard? You think a couple things, um, you know, they're heavily camouflaged, but also extremely fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the wings, of course, would indicate speed as well. Um, and then also it has four heads. And so, you know, just looking at the animal itself, there's going to be some characteristics that are important that are pointed out later um, when we look at the second half of the chapter. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Speed. Speed is the thing that I think stands out the most to me. Yeah, I think so, too. Well, that's what I was going to say. And we know from the 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 statue in chapter two that this is Greece. Right. If we're following along that same timeline, we know this is Greece. And um, after what's his toes, uh, the little guy with his hand in his jacket. Napoleon. Napoleon. That's that's the one. So (laughs) after him, like he didn't have progeny. And so his four generals took over, split up the nation and took over. And so there's your, you know, there's your four heads. Napoleon. No, kind of, it would actually be Alexander the Great. That's yeah. the one. Yes, yes. I was going to yes, say, Alexander you had me a little confused there. Napoleon was French. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I said that. I said I that totally wrong. I was thinking no. of the end of the prophecies. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, you found the one time that Karen's knowledge failed us. That is that is not even a little bit true. Oh, wait. Have you cut all the others out? <laughs> cutting room floor. Cutting room floor. <laughs> Okay, uh, I see two hands up right now, and I do not know who was first. Chivalry's not dead. Go ahead, Amy. Oh, <laughs> I had forgotten to lower mine. Okay. Oh. You know, and so I looked up those four places, and it's once again for Alexander. It's basically after his death, uh, Karen's right. He didn't have any kids. So, but basically his four strongest generals tried to take over. Um. They went back and they kind of broke it up into Egypt, Macedonia, and then I have no idea what these places are. It's is it Selsud and Pergam, Pergamum. It's so it's Pergamum. There you go. And the Seleucids. There you go. So yeah. Yeah. And I have no idea what those those places are. Yeah. Well, we can we can get more into that with the interpretation part of stuff, but. uh, But those are the four. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, Karen. I just had a quick question. Popular opinion poll. If chivalry has to point out that it is taking action, is it really chivalry? No, it'd it be common courtesy and respect, but you know what? <laughs> hey, why not? <laughs> <laughs> wow, Tracy, you tried and look at that. Shot down. <laughs> but there, there always has to be a, a, a rebuttal there. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, we, 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 we even out the playing field by having two Decency, men. Respect. I give it all. We got two <laughs> men and two women on the podcast and still we're trampled, man. What do you do? What do you do? No, but we didn't hear that kind of stuff when Karen was all by her little lonesome, did we? <laughs> right. We kept her in her corner where she belonged. <laughs> I'm just saying, it came, like, when you when you said, you know what, chivalry's not dead, you can go first, Amy. I had this immediate vision of a man walking up and opening a door for a woman and then saying, did you see I opened the door for you? <laughs> hey, you know what, in today's society, we need to point that out. That's probably true. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny stuff. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, let's. Okay, so the next beast, then this fourth beast, Daniel really doesn't even have words for it. All he says, it's dread. It's a dreadful and terrible beast. So this is something that, uh, I mean, later on we'll see it. Uh, we're going to see parallels of it, but uh, described as a dragon. Even then, I mean, we have ideas of a what a dragon looks like in our minds. 
But we also know that all cultures have had different various looking beasts and they all get called dragons. And so really, this is just something that Daniel is seeing. He doesn't know how to describe it. It is just this crazy looking monster that uh, is super scary, I would think. And it has iron teeth. It's got 10 horns on its head. Um, There's one horn that comes up and replaces three of the others. It says it has eyes of a man and it speaks pompous words. And so this is a very, very, very strange, scary thing that Daniel is seeing and trying to relate. I thought it was interesting. You know, it says, like you were saying, large iron teeth crushed into de- and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, right? And then it had mm-hmm. 10 horns. So if you go back to Daniel 2 in verse 40, it says, when Daniel is explaining the dream to the king, he says, finally, there will be a fourth kingdom strong as iron for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all others. This thing is brutal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that... that- that analogy, that, yeah, that's the wrong word, but that, you know, that comparison of iron in one and iron in another gives us more reason to believe that that's the two, even without having the interpretation yet, that the, or that the two visions are similar. And then there, the creepy part says, when I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, right? So it's got 10 horns. And mm-hmm. he says, when I w- while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. So among the 10. Three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. So that's really a little creepy. Yeah. So there's like this this human this human element where it's going to be a, a a person or a small like if I think of a beast I think of a large section of the earth and I think of a lot of brute strength. But now here comes a little horn among 10 with the eyes of a man and it speaks boastfully. So this is small. This is a small thing that comes up and has has more elements of being an individual rather than a big brute force region of the world or a, or a nation or a power. And yet it uproots three of the other horns on its way. Yeah, so uh, something for us to, 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 to look at. And uh, it's going to be real. It's going to make for some very interesting uh, discussion down, down the road here. And we know from Daniel 2 that this is Rome. We know this is Rome already. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so at this point, then Daniel's vision does a little bit of a shift and it gets away from the beasts and uh he sees that thrones get put in place and interesting to me here it's not a throne it's thrones get put into place and he says that the ancient of days sits down now i think it's fair for us to interpret that ancient of days we're talking about god are we talking about god the father are we talking about uh, a visual representation here of G- pre-incarnate Jesus, some aspect of that. In some, at, at, at any rate, I think it's fair for us to recognize that he is seeing some representation of God uh, sitting down on one of these thrones. But I don't know. I'm going to throw this question out right now. When he says thrones, who are? I mean, who are the other thrones for? I honestly don't know. Do you guys have any insight on why there's multiple thrones set down here? I'm going to take No, that as- except for the fact that we're told that I don't know when this judgment takes place, but we are told that at some point the saints will judge with God. Now, okay. I've never taken that to mean the passing of initial judgment. I've taken that to mean because this is after the second coming, I've taken that to mean their fate has already been sealed. It's the details of their punishment that the saints will be deciding on, right? Because if that's after the second coming, then judgment itself has already been entered. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I think so. Um, 
might require a little more discussion to for us to understand how we get to that point. But I guess at this point, if we're seeing this as the saints sitting down with God, which seems plausible to me, it's the one I guess it's the thing that makes the most sense to me that we are we are I mean, we're very clearly. So this vision is very clearly presenting a judgment scenario. Yeah. So which I guess I maybe should have let in with that. And so it's interesting to me that it's not only God who is sitting in this judgment position, but there are others being brought into it as well. Well, I'm not positive I understand what Karen is saying, because I I feel like this judgment scene is uh, occurring after this little horn has his power. But then later we see in verse 13, and I saw in the night vision and behold, like one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and, and came to the ancient of days and, and came near him, etc. And then was given to him dominion and glory and a kingdom. And so I feel like the succession of time or the correct order to view it is we have this, these four kingdoms that control the earth. And then we have this unique power that controls the earth for a very long time. And then uh, this judgment and then the coming of Christ. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Right, well, let, me, let me, let me see if I can clarify. So okay. I I'm, I'm with you, right? I, I agree with that entire timeline as you're understanding it. But the interesting thing to me about these thrones, so my understanding when it says that the saints will judge the earth is that they're not passing initial judgment. It's more like we're trying to open the books and understand God's judgment to understand our own human history and all of the things where we didn't know what was going on here on earth, right? We're seeing part of the big picture of what's happening. And so... So when I see thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat, he's the only one that's listed as sitting down. So who's the who are the rest of the thrones for? The only other mass judgment where you would need multiple thrones that I remember in the Bible is when the saints will, don't you know that the saints will judge the earth? But judgment has already been entered at that point. So it's not like it's, it's not like we're actually, I've never had the impression that the, the saints are actually passing initial judgment. Initial judgment has already happened, which would be more like this scene. And we are there to understand the judgment. Does that make more sense? Yeah, yeah, I think it does. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not positive though. I also think there may be heavenly beings that we're unaware of at this time who are, uh, sitting on those thrones, and then the time when we're involved in the judgment possibly comes later. Yeah, and that may that may very well be, but it just doesn't say that anybody is sitting in them. The only person it lists as coming and sitting down is the Ancient of Days. Everybody else attends him and stands before him. Mm -hmm. There is a clue in verse 22, and I don't know if you guys would prefer if we wait until we actually get to verse 22. Um, what's the consensus? Um, well, you can probably hit that real quick. Okay. It says until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the most high. And so, uh, well, then to finish the sentence, I guess. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Um, so I don't, I guess I feel like that is saying that we don't, to me that what that's saying is we don't have much to worry about because the Lord is going to give judgment on our behalf, which thinking a different way is is how the psalms always put it too oh lord please bring judgment you know we have a tendency in our modern minds to think uh oh judgment's coming but the way the old testament thought about judgment it was like god is finally going to bring justice to a bad situation but then back to our original topic i i'm not sure i i think this is saying that that judgment occurs prior to our involvement but that the judgment is given on our behalf let me I don't know. Let me try to wrap my little brain around what I'm what I'm sort of seeing here. And I'm kind of inclined to go along with Amy here with this being with the timeline. It would seem like things that are happening here hap is happening around that time of that that last beast, because verse 11 is talking about 
says because or Dan it says Daniel. Let me just read it. Let me get over here to it. Eleven. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. So we know we know from history that and from the previous vision that we're talking about Rome. Um, he says I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. So you know we're this would seem to be in timeline of the vision happening during that time of the during or just after that time of that last beast and i am wondering and it's just a speculation on my part if those other thrones are aren't maybe some sort of a representation similar to what happened in job when we saw the how did that put it the, the um, sons of men or the sons of god yeah the sons of god which we sort of at the time took to mean uh the ones in charge of the individual worlds where it, in in our case it should have been adam but because of our fall and because of what not uh satan showed up instead because he kind of has he kind of has run of things and so I wonder, I wonder, it's just a speculation, if those other thrones aren't for those quote-unquote sons of God and they're being allowed to sort of watch what's happening as books are opened, as things are unfolding, as history goes on, um, to see how things are. Just a speculation. Don't take too much from it. Uh, it's just a, it's just a, I'm just wondering, it's just a question that I have in my mind. Yeah, that may be. That's an interesting way to look at that. And and unfortunately, in this passage, it never says who sits in those seats. They remain empty. At least, at least Daniel never observes anyone sitting on them. But but, Amy, you and I are are saying the same thing. I'm I'm using different words, and I feel like I'm not communicating very well. But you and I are. What you're saying is what I'm trying to say. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, right. so. I found that passage, First yeah, Corinthians 6, verse 3, is the one that says, um, know you not that you shall judge angels. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, I, I mean, I definitely believe that we will be involved uh, in judgment, and the Lord expects us to, you know, give good judgment. But the interesting part of that is by the time we're there, judgment is already passed. So it's almost like exactly what the vision that I had in my head, the vision, that's a very dramatic way of saying this. The image that I had in my head is exactly how you were saying it. Like, it's almost like initial judgment is passed on our behalf. And then later, when the judgment books are opened, like it says that in Revelation, you know, like the books are opened at that time. We're already there. Like, we're there. So if if judgment hasn't passed, how come, how come you know what I mean? Like, clearly judgment is passed because some people aren't in heaven. So what does our judgment entail? Well, I don't so think it's. Well, here's something interesting. Verse 26, and I know we're not there, but it says the judgment shall sit. Well, first it's talking about, you know, this little horn and how it's going to do all these terrible things. But then it says the judgment shall sit and they shall take away his dominion. <clears throat> and so I, I do feel like there's a different set of judgments occurring. Like judgment is... Um, on the one hand, the, the great judgment of all that has occurred and we're looking back at God's decisions and we're and I, I think that's more the judgment that you're discussing. Whereas I feel like in a sense, this judgment is a judgment of the little horn and its power. Is, is there any chance that you guys think that's a rational position? <laughs> I think it is. I don't know. I'm really appreciating the different perspectives here uh, because, um, you know, we don't. We don't necessarily know. I I kind of, I don't know. To me, it does feel more like, I don't know. I don't know. It's a discovery in process. Exactly. Exactly. And we're not, we're not in the, we're not in the interpretation section of it yet. It just, it does, it, it feels to me like there is a, a, see, we, we tend to think of when we talk about judgment, we tend to think of like end of days judgment and, and, you know, God's opening the books and judging the people, whatnot. This feels to me more like we're going to like we're going to sit down and we're going to see what's happening right now. And maybe even as history is progressing, these other if anybody sits down in those seats and like Karen pointed out, we, we Daniel doesn't tell us anybody sits in the seats now that we think about it. And, and you know, it's also possible 
that this vision could be looking into the future and a lot of things could be happening simultaneously here and it doesn't have to be specifically chronological order with what's happening because we've seen that happen a lot is that sometimes visions are bouncing all over the place and and it it just requires some discernment on our part to to consider where those things might be uh pointing to so this is kind of interesting in the king james it says i beheld this is verse nine i beheld until thrones were cast down and the ancient yeah. of days did sit that's and so interesting yeah and so that's sort of a different view of it instead of it being a time when all these thrones are set up so that so that God can come and do judgment. It's more saying all these great powers are going to be cast down and then, you know, God is going to sit in judgment over the whole thing. Interesting. Cause yeah, the new King James doesn't put it that way. The new King James says put in place, but huh? That's where an interpretation makes a, could make a lot of difference because I'll, if I'll look uh, it up and see what I can find in the Hebrew. Because yeah, if other king, if other thrones are cast down and then God's throne is set in place, this might indicate that all, you know, all the because we've been following this history of these various kingdoms and whatnot that have had all this power on Earth and been so um, influential, and then if this vision here of the Ancient of Days and the throne is that parallel to when the rock the stone comes in and destroyed that image in daniel 2 and this is god now coming in and and just taking charge taking names or whatnot uh that would be very interesting if if this is like worldly thrones being cast down and god's throne being put in place yeah so i just looked it up and it says that it's actually originally in aramaic and then it says that the word means to throw, to impose, to be thrown, uh, to be thrown down. And the word is Ramah. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. That's kind of interesting. So that puts a whole different that puts a whole different aspect on it. To me, it helps me to kind of get a better idea of what mm -hmm. we're seeing here. So those other thrones, then it would seem, aren't in a position of judgment at all. And it's it's God's throne. God is the one who is being um, showcased here. It's his courtroom and nobody else uh, at this point anyway um, is sitting in that position of authority. That's the way I'm, that's the way I'm seeing it. So that is that's kind of fascinating. I wonder if that correlates with Daniel chapter 2 and the stone that comes out of nowhere. You know, that's, yeah, that's kind of what I was saying. There. That stone comes in, uh, shatters the image. All of those other kingdoms that had been so influential now have their influence is gone. And and at this point, it's simply God's hand, God's uh, God's dominion. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Hmm. Well, it's interesting to me, too, that. The Ancient of Days, that's the way thats the way Daniel is describing him, comes in and he says he's uh, wearing a garment white like snow. He has hair white like wool. To me, this is the closest thing we ever get to an idea of God as being a guy on a throne with a white beard. <laughs> you know, that's the that's like the popular image that we see all the time as as God, you know, the way the way people think God looks. And and uh, uh, here we kind of get that image. Uh, of that, of that, uh, it doesn't necessarily, well, it says ancient of days. So I guess it sort of conjures up an image in our mind of an old man with a, with white hair and a beard. So I don't know. I, I was reminded of both revelation and Ezekiel. So this whole ancient of days, clothing, white as snow, hair of his head was white, like wool. Okay. That reminded me of, of, um, revelation right mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and this throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze that reminded me of ezekiel definitely kind of cool mm -hmm. yeah i was yeah, thinking the same cool. thing and that's why it was interesting to me too if daniel and ezekiel are there roughly the same time and god is revealing this to both of them you know and they're kind of seeing the same thing that's just sort of a fascinating thing to me to have two different people seeing the same thing 
because we're not really we're not giving any indication that they really interacted, but they were clearly there at the same time. So it's just yeah, it's interesting. So anyway, there's this interesting scene in whatever this courtroom is. Ten thousand thousands upon thousands attended them. Ten thousand times ten thousand stand before him. Right. So the books of judgment are open. All right. So then in eleven it says. I continued to watch because of the boastful words of the horn, because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. So this is like the little horn that comes up and it uproots three of the three of the original ten horns and it's got the eyes of a man, right? The creepy little thing. I kept looking until the beast was slain. So this is the big bad beast number four that has nothing in nature to compare it to. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. And I was curious, is that the fire, the river of fire coming out from under Jesus' throne? I don't know what fire this is. That's the only fire that's mentioned. Its wheels were ablaze, his throne was flaming, and a river of fire was flowing out from under him. And it says the other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. So we're moving some we're moving some pawns around on the chessboard, and <laughs> God is the master chess player. Then it says, yeah. "In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven." So, "son of man" is an old Aramaic word that means a human. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. Okay, so if he's coming, if the if the man, if the son of man is coming with the clouds of heaven and he approaches the ancient of days and is led, is led into his presence, then we see the son of God doing his thing as savior and then being led into the presence of the father God, who is the ancient of days sitting on the throne. Okay, so the son of man, now, we're now in verse 14, the son of man is given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So if you roll this backward to Daniel 2, this is the equivalent, this last scene here is the equivalent of the stone that is cut out without hands, coming down, striking the feet of the, of the statue, the whole thing crumbles into dust that blows away like chaff and the stone that crushed it grows up into the mountain of God. So this is this is this. So now this this to me to clarifies that the ancient of days that comes in and takes his seat and opens the judgment books is Father God. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to you guys. Yes, it does. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and then totally. here comes the savior of the earth who took human form and intervened in this whole thing. And once he's earned his place by going through that entire sit process, then he is given authority, glory, sovereign power, and all nations and peoples of every language worship him. Um, I just, you know, I wanted to point out uh, John chapter 12, where people are asking Jesus, um, who is this son of man? You say the son of man should be lifted up. Who is this son of man? And Jesus says, only for a little while will I, you know, walk with you. And then he identifies himself as the son of man. And he does that repeatedly throughout the gospels. And so, you know, Karen's reference to the fact that this is an old Aramaic term. I think it's important to point out the fact that um, Jesus is clearly making that reference for some purpose. And I think part of his purpose is that he wants people to understand he is the fulfillment of all these prophecies. And he is using the same language that Daniel used in order to identify himself later on. Very much so. In fact, the note that's at the bottom of my page says um, the, Aramaic, the Aramaic phrase bar enosh means human being. The phrase son of man is retained here because of its use in the New Testament as a title of Jesus. So that tells you how much work the interpreters put into making the Bible consistent mm. from beginning to end. I like that. I actually really like that. Oh, I like that too. Yeah, that's cool. Interesting. Interesting. So even the interpreters really couldn't help put it, putting what they understood into the text as they interpreted it using that, using that phrase that we see, well, we see it in a lot of places, but we see that in this case uh, used um, here because we see it so much in the new Testament. That is an interesting 
well, an interesting that's, insight. That's an interesting thing, too, when you think about how the Bible says that many of the scribes followed him. And so instead of being obsessed with their religion, these were people who were constantly looking at the scriptures because uh, the scribes would have been transcribing um, the scriptures. And, and so I think that's very interesting that many of them followed him. Yeah. Yeah. Because they would have seen it throughout the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Well, that brings us through the vision itself. So we have seen this vision that Daniel had. We have discussed a little bit of what we understand of its interpretation um, and and seen that it is it is a vision of what will happen through Daniel's future, through the progression of nations and from what is happening or is going to happen from God's throne, whatever, whatever that is like. Um, and the interesting, the interesting parallels that we see with the prophecies in Ezekiel. Uh, and so um, I think this is where we're going to stop for this episode, because as we get into the interpretation of this, it's going to be it's going to be a, it's going to be a lot more uh, of a dense discussion. And so um, I'm going to encourage our listeners to continue to study the book of Daniel, chapter seven. Uh, look into those those interpretations that come in the last half of the chapter, and we will discuss that more in depth as we get into our next episode. And so while you are doing that and waiting for us, please remember that you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org with any questions or comments. Remember that you can look us up on Facebook. Make sure that you share this podcast with your friends and family and neighbors. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that we can reach you in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.